Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Question for you. If there's one area, if there was one area of your life where you have the potential to or feel stuck, what would that area be? If I asked you, you had to choose one area in your life right now you feel maybe a little stuck, what would that be? And you know what I mean by stuck, right? Like, like to feel stuck where, where you're trying your best, you're doing all that you can do, but it feels like there's no movement. That you're doing what you feel like is everything in your power, but it still feels like you're staying in place. That there are moments when this happens where you can begin to think, is this ever going to change? Or is ju this just what life is going to be in this part of my life where I feel stuck? Growing up in Canada, I saw people get stuck all the time. And, and by that, I mean literally, I saw people get stuck all the time. When I speak about Canada, typically an image pops in your head. When I say winter in Canada, I definitely know an image that pops in your head, and it usually comes down to one word. Snow. I heard it. Snow. I know why that image pops in our head because the reality is is I don't remember a winter where snow didn't play a big part of my childhood. And that's why it was funny to me when we moved from Canada to Kentucky for my 11th and 12th grade year that the first time it snowed there, and by snow I put it in quotations as a young Canadian, the first time it snowed, how things just basically stopped. I look around and I see this little bit of white flaky stuff on the ground and people are like, what do we do? And it was funny to me because in Canada, that would have been a good day, right? Like we definitely wouldn't have stopped because that would have been a good day. But growing up, snow didn't, it didn't really, it just part of life. It would be throw the salt on the road and just keep going. But the problem is, even though that was our mindset, even though that's what we did, that doesn't mean we didn't run into issues. It didn't mean that we didn't have those moments where you'd just be driving along, and all of a sudden we call it black ice, ice you couldn't see on the road. Or snow that had been tamped down so much that it became slippery and you're just driving and then you find yourself spinning and what happens? You get yourself stuck in the side of the road and in the snowbank. And when that happens, most people have one instinct. It, it, Okay, let's go to Alabama real quick. When you get stuck in mud, it's the same thing, okay? But it's, no, when you get stuck, what's your first instinct? I'm putting my, my foot on that pedal as hard as I can, put it in reverse, because i got to use all the power I can to get out of that snow. But if you've ever done this before, you know what happens, right? 
you've ever done this before, you know things only get worse. The hole only gets deeper. It does not help you get out. Because the reality of the story is when you get stuck, you need other people. You need other vehicles. You need ropes. You need a winch. You need something that would pull you out. You cannot pull yourself out. If you need an example of this, if you're watching the news at all, do you see Buffalo, New York this weekend? Have you seen those pictures? That's basically Scott's upbringing, okay? So this will give you a picture. But this is the story of getting stuck. So that's my experience with snow. But the reality is, is I've seen um, just in regular life this idea of feeling or getting stuck. I believe that everybody has these moments in life. You don't need the snow, but your reality of your life is that you can feel stuck and you don't know how to get out. You can feel stuck, and you try and try and try, but you can't get out. You can mash the pedal all you want, but it's not going to do any good. And I asked you at the beginning of this message, if you had one area that you would feel like you would potentially get stuck, or maybe right now, be honest, you feel stuck, what would that be? Some people feel stuck in job situations. You just can't get out. Some people feel stuck in relationship issues, and you don't know how to navigate it. Some people feel stuck in physical ailments, and you're like, I don't know what else I can do. I feel stuck in a mindset. You can feel stuck in addictions. You can be stuck in a sin. You can be stuck in life without a vision or goals. I don't know what even I'm going for. So, so I, I, I feel stuck because I don't even see beyond this moment. Everybody has their moment when you feel so stuck and you don't know what to do. And all you want to say is, get me out of this. When you're in this moment, you, you, you want to just cry out. You just want to scream. I'm sick of this, and I'm frustrated, and I just want out. Well, listen, here's the amazing thing I think about the Bible. Is when you begin to look at the stories of Scripture, they are often more relatable today than we give them credit. It's not just about stories that happen. It's stories that are still happening. And what we're going to see today is, is, is a story about these ten guys who felt very stuck. Because the stories in Scripture may be different in, 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 in specifics, but life is life, no matter when it happens. And so today we're going to go to Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at a story. As you go there, grab your phones, your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen. As you go there, I want you to embrace the feeling. Whether you're in it now or you've been in it. Because we will get to that moment again in life. It is inevitable that we'll feel these emotions. How do we walk through feeling stuck? All right, Luke 17, here we go. Verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem... 
Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at the feet, uh, Jesus' feet, and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So many of you know that um, just recently, why I was gone is I was taking a group of people to Israel to spend 10 days just talking about Jesus. It was an incredible time. I've had so many conversations since I've come back that if you have the opportunity, I would love to take you there and spend this intense time looking at the life of Jesus, talking about Jesus. It's just an amazing time. Well, one of the things that we talk about on the trip is we learn that 75% of Jesus' life was spent in what's called the Galilee region. It was the northern part of Israel. This map here will kind of give you a picture of the, of the Galilee region. You can see up there, right? So many of the miracles that Jesus did were around what's called the Sea of Galilee. Now, the other 25% of his life were spent just walking the roads and down in the southern part more in Jerusalem. Well, what we have in this story is that one of the times that Jesus was going from the northern part walking down to Jerusalem... Now, most of the time, he would go to Jerusalem for two reasons. One is he'd have, there'd be Jewish festivals like, say, the Passover. He'd be going down to Jerusalem. He would make the journey there. Or there were just specific times when teachings would need to happen. Well, on one of those trips, he walks through a small town. Now, we can't guarantee we can't say for 100% surety where this small town, because all it tells us, was it say? It's on the border of Galilee and Samaria. But traditionally, this town that he walked through is a town that was spelled B-U-R-Q-I-N. And this town was just in the hundreds at the time. It's a small town. If you go through that town today, I read that there's maybe like 5,000 people there today because it was grown. And it was grown, I think, because of the recognition of what happened here. See, if you walk through that town, you'll see that they have raised up a church. They built a church in honor and uh, remembering this incredible miracle that Jesus did. So th this is the church right there. These are things like we see when we go, we go over. But they built this church because this was such an incredible moment in Jesus' life. Now, it was incredible enough for them to build this church, incredible enough for them to honor this, but in order to take in how incredible this miracle is, we have to embrace, we have to own, we have to feel what these ten lepers were feeling. We have to embrace the reality of their life, because these ten people 
were stuck in one of the worst conditions that anybody could be stuck in. These people were pushed out of culture because they didn't want to take the chance of bringing impurities to the Jewish people. See, if you were a Jewish person and you touched a leper, not only are you risking getting the disease, but there was a, a belief that this would show the favor of God is not on you. So you needed to be at a distance. And they, they, they viewed this disease as almost incurable. See, there had only been two people in the Bible who had ever been spoken about that had been cured from leprosy in the Old Testament, a woman named Miriam and a, and a man named, named Naaman. That was the only two people they had reference for in Scripture. And so amongst the, in the, in the rabbi circle, the rabbinical world, it was believed that leprosy was as, the cure for leprosy was as uncommon and unlikely as bringing someone back from the dead. So it's not a far-fetched thought to think about this story as people looking on these men, that they were looking on them and putting me in the category of they were practically dead to the world. There's actually instruction of how to deal with these people. You may have heard this before. In, in Leviticus, the Old Testament, there was instruction where it says that the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean, as long as he has been the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone and must live outside the camp. There are rules for this. Forget the pain and destruction to your body. This is culturally, this was their identity. This was their story. This is what they thought about all day, every day. This consumed their life, which brings me back to you. Is there ever anything that it consumed your entire life that all you can think about, all you can feel, all that just, it owns you, that you feel stuck in a situation and it can't go away? And there's frustration, there's anger, and there's hopelessness. If you've ever been in that situation where it's like, I can't get away from this. I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. During the day, it just grabs a hold of me. You can feel the pain that these ten men were feeling because we have no idea. No idea what their life was like before this. All we know that life after is miserable. In order to get the power of this story, we have to put ourselves in the seat of someone who feels stuck in a situation and can't get out. But then the story turns. Because Jesus enters the story. As much as we hear it all the time, I want to remind you that anytime Jesus enters a story, the story always changes direction. I don't think I can hear a story enough to remind me to the depths I need reminded that when Jesus enters a story, the story will always change direction. So Jesus walks into this small town, and these ten lepers do 
what any of us would do. They yell out, Jesus, help us. Like, notice they didn't ask for anything specific. They're just like, have pity on me, Jesus. Have pity on us. We need you. We need you to see us. We need you to show compassion to us. I wonder if the rumors and the reputation of Jesus preceded him, that they see Jesus coming through, and like, that's a man of compassion. Jesus, have pity on us. Now, Jesus' response is interesting to me. Notice, Jesus doesn't go over, speak, and touch them. That's maybe what you'd expect. You've seen this other place in the Gospels. Jesus goes over and he touches them and they are healed. Maybe he rubs, rubs some, uh, some mud or he spits in his hand or he just, he just he reaches down. He doesn't do any of this. What does he do? He gives instruction. He just gives them instruction of what to do. This is what you're supposed to do. I want you to go and show yourself to the priest. Seems like a weird way to heal somebody. But that's what he does. But why did he do that? See, they would not have been allowed to get back into culture until they would have gone to Jerusalem, gone to the temple, gone to the priest, because there was a specific place in the temple where you would have to show yourself, I am no longer unclean. I'm no longer needing to be banished from culture. I need to show you, and they'd have to be released. And so Jesus is telling them, go and do this. Now, this wasn't just a simple request. It wasn't something super easy. Let's go back to that diagram again. Jesus is in Galilee. He's coming down. You see the border between Galilee and Samaria. You see Jerusalem down the bottom, right? This would have taken energy, time, maybe money. I don't know. It was not just an easy thing for them to do, to go and be seen that they're no longer unclean. But the hours didn't matter. The time and the effort didn't matter. I can't imagine that even being a thing, because in the instructions of Jesus gave them all the hope that they need. In the instructions of Jesus, they got this I can imagine this like feeling of maybe it doesn't have to stay the same. It was in the instructions of Jesus. In the instructions of Jesus, they can get potentially out of this mess. And you see what happened, right? You know this story? I'm just brought up with this story. You know what happens? The moment they turned in the obedience of the instruction healing happens. In that moment, they experienced a miracle of freedom. They were pulled out from their pain. They're pulled out from under their shame. They just, they went from stuck to unstuck, stuck to, to freedom, all in a moment. It's what they wanted. It's all their eyes saw. All their body felt. They just wanted to get unstuck. But the story wasn't done. Because Jesus wasn't done. 
Jesus had done the impossible, it seemed. Jesus had done like measurably more than they could ever imagine, just not, more than pity. They no longer have this disease. Jesus had done it, but Jesus wasn't done. Big part of the story is Jesus wasn't done because someone came back for more. Big part of the story is someone turned. They stopped. Instead of continuing on their journey to go see the priest so they, can be, so they can be declared back into society, life can begin. Someone stopped and he turned around and he turned around to acknowledge Jesus. He turned down to honor Jesus. He turned, down, turned around to give credit where credit was due. And you see what happened. Jesus sees that he's the only one that comes back. This is unique. And he looks at this man and he says, listen, your faith, the reason you came back, your understanding, your belief is going to give you something beyond what the other people got. Your faith and acknowledgement, your, your understanding of what just happened is going to give you something that they did not get. There's going to be a whole other level. He's, like, either he's down there, he's on his knees, he's like, rise up. Your faith has made you well. Now language is important. And this word well there is, has so much depth. It's a sozo. S-O-Z-O. It's this idea, it's beyond just like, I'm saved. There's a protection in it. There's like a restoration, redemption in it. There's a wholeness in this. Yes, these men who called out to me in pity, they were received the miracle, they were healed of their disease. But you coming back, you acknowledging, you honoring, you doing this in this moment, you're a whole nother level of healing is going to happen. You are made well. You are whole. And I love this story. As I'm thinking about this story this week, I'm thinking about us. Because if there's a potential for us in life to feel stuck at any moment, to be carrying something heavy at any moment, that there is potential for us to have our own leprosy, our own stories, the thing that has grabbed a hold of us, that is holding on to our life. If there's potential for that, then their story, his story, needs to be our story. And we need not to just look at the story from a distance. We need to say, God, if I feel stuck, how do you get me unstuck? God, if I'm carrying something so heavy that I feel like it's weighing me down and I can't go somewhere, I can't move, I feel suffocated, like I said, in jobs and in relationships and finance and sin and addictions and all these things. The stories may be different, but life is life no matter when it happens. If you're feeling that, then their story needs to be our story, specifically the one man's story needs to be our story. And so really simply this morning, I want us to, I want us to see how that walking through life to get unstuck looks like, just using this story. And it's pretty simple. The first thing that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing out of it is to 
to get unstuck, we have to be honest. You got to be honest with yourself about your story. And this may be simple, but there's something I have learned through my life. Is often the thing that comes between me and what God wants to do, me and being stuck, is my pride. For some to admit that you have an issue is like admitting defeat. Our pride gets in the way. If you admit defeat, that means there's something wrong with you. My pride gets in the way. And it may feel like you're giving up in life when you admit that your story is not in the place that you want to be, that there is something there. But can I offer another perspective? Maybe admitting defeat is the most courageous thing we can do. Maybe admitting defeat pushes, admitting something is there in my story, it pushes aside the pride and allows the movement of God to come into my life. Admitting something is too insurmountable for me may be the vehicle that God comes in and goes, okay, now I can move in this. Maybe you're working so hard to get things done because we don't want to be honest that this is too big for me. That my pride is getting in the way. And I look at these men, and they had zero issue acknowledging they had an issue in their life. They knew it. Everybody else knew it. But sometimes our stuckness is below the surface, not as blatant. Sometimes people don't see the issues at home. Sometimes people don't see the things under the surface. They don't see that, that sin that's got to hold you, that addiction that's got a hold of you, that, that, that thing that's stopping you from advancing. Your relationship with God in this world. But when we are honest with ourselves, I have something that, it's got me. What it does is it allows me to move to the most important thing that these guys did. Is we've got to see Jesus as the only answer. Can I tell you very simply, as your pastor this morning, you are not the answer to your issue. You are not. What is around you, the, the many options in life, is not the answer to your issue. The problem is, is when we see Jesus as an answer, as an option, we miss out on the power of his move. When we've got a bag of options and we put our hand in and through it, like we begin to pull out the options and try one thing after another, we are uh, missing out on the move of Jesus that he's waiting, saying, just can I be the answer? A sentence was said to me this week by someone in the church. She said, Scott, in so many words, we don't pray bold enough prayers. And because of that, we don't see 
the bold answers from Jesus. This is how I processed it. And I've been thinking about that for several days. What God's beginning to speak to me is when Jesus is one of the answers, not the answers, we can still pray to him, but our prayers are very generic. Of God, will you do something? God, I need you. God, we can even say, God, like, we, we know you're bigger than everything. Could you do something in this situation? We can pray these prayers, but they can be very generic. But when Jesus is the only answer, our prayers change. They become more bold. They become more aggressive. They become more desperate. They become more like, I got nothing else, so I'm putting everything in your hands. We pray differently. Our prayers, and I've been pushed in this week, Scott, are your prayers generic or are they bold? And if they're generic, it's because Jesus is just one of the many I don't come all in with him. These men, from a distance, yell, Jesus, have pity on us. We are out of options. If you're stuck, maybe it's because you still think you have lots of options. And you're just trying to find which one will work. there comes a point when you see Jesus as the only answer, something changes. And then I see the third thing. Once, once we see Jesus as the answer, it's pretty simple what we have to do. And it's right there in front of us, is we have to make a commitment to complete obedience. We have to make a commitment commitment to complete obedience is there a chance that we're missing out on something in life because we are living in half obedience quarter obedience a little bit obedience the reason i think we do a little bit of obedience some obedience is because we don't get the number two right we don't get Jesus as the only answer. But when we can get that right, I think the direct response is, well, then what else would I do but be obedient? If he's the only answer, then I'm going to do anything he says. So Jesus says to the men, go show yourself to the priests. They could have said, well, Jesus, can you come over here and touch us real quick first and declare us healed, and then we'll walk and we'll go show them. Like, that'd, been, that'd make sense. Well, like, we know you've healed people. We've heard about it. So just come over, put your hand on us, we'll get healed, and I promise we'll go show the priest. Like, we want to do that. Isn't that how we handle life sometimes? We feel stuck. Because maybe Jesus is speaking to us. But we live half obedience. And I'm wondering, is there anything in your life right now where the reason you're stuck is because you're not being obedient to Jesus? all completely in. Could that be said of you? Do you know there's something under the surface like, Scott, I need you to move on to point four because like, I know what it is and I don't really want... I don't really... Give me number four. Okay. 
four things we have to acknowledge what Jesus has done. And this seems like such a little thing. But did you notice the difference that happened in this man's life? Ten got physically healed. But one was made whole. And it was directly connected to the honor and praise and worship at the feet of Jesus going, you did this. What happens in life is we get stressed and we feel stuck. So we, even we go to Jesus, we go to God and we're like, God, I need you. When that thing gets unstuck, what do we do? We move on to the next thing we're stressed about. Because we got a list of things we're stressed about. It's not just one. We got a list of things. So you immediately move on. What I think the lesson we got to grab here is there is a restoration, a redemption, something that happens in us when we stop and we turn before we stress about the next thing and we acknowledge, God, you did this. My healing, my hope, my change is because of what you did. We're not moving on to the next stressful thing because what happens is we turn into overly needy people and undergrateful people and we end up missing out on this, this amazing work that Jesus does because there is healing in gratefulness. There's healing in acknowledgement. There is healing in pointing it out. So what do we do? That's why we come every week and we worship. Why well, I think the discipline of coming here is so good because we worship. We're acknowledging you deserve the praise. We sang it today. You're worthy of it all because look at what you've done. But we don't do that. You move on to the next thing. And so my challenge to you, even as we head into Thanksgiving season, you're gonna you're gonna have a moment where I hey, go around the table. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my pastor. <laughs> I'm thankful for the food. I'm thankful. Is there moments we go, God? I'm thankful and acknowledge what you have done in my life and what you want to do. That you've been there for me. There's something that happens when we, it, 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 it restores our soul, I think, to remind us that God did it, He is doing it, and He can still do it when we hear ourselves saying it. So we do it in worship. We do it in leaning into prayers, but we also do it like telling other people about it. And, and that's where I want, um, this has recently happened in our church and I want you guys to see that God is still working. So Carly, will you come up? I just want to take a quick moment to show you how this works. And to remind you that, yes, the story may not be lepers, but the story, God still gets us unstuck. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, so this is your church. You've grown up here. Um, just real, just quickly, how... What's life been like? You grew up in this place. You know about Jesus, but what's the last couple of years been like, girl? Well, um, so I moved out when I was 19 years old and started living in an apartment with some friends. Um, and life just went pretty downhill pretty quick. Um, How, what's the word you use with me that you describe it? You were... Lost. <laughs> you got completely lost. Super lost. And what did lost look like for you? Um, I was like definitely living the party girl lifestyle. I would go out on weekends, get drunk with friends, um, found myself in a lot of sexual impurity. I was like cussing left and right, like just not, if you knew me from the time I was born and you saw that, you'd be like, who is that girl? Like just not me at all. 
Um, and I started cosmetology school in January, so could no longer afford to live on my own, so I had to move back home um, in June of this year. And I just, you know, started living with my parents again. Yep, so, yeah. <laughs> gotten a merging of worlds <laughs> yeah. right there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you have gone from you grew up, you knew Jesus. Yeah. You know the truth. You get out on your own and it completely goes to mess. Yeah. Sexual thing, drugs things, alcohol thing, all of it. All of it. You move back home and you're still kind of living in this. Yeah. And then a night happened. A night happened. And that's where Pastor Scott always cries, right? <laughs> yeah. A night that's happened. That's where I'm going to cry. It's okay. <laughs> where the spiritual battle happened in your life. And just kind of just in your words, what went on then? So um, October 16th, um, I was just laying in bed, and I had taken two edibles to just make you high. Um, and I was laying there in bed, and just started feeling so like hot like could not control my body temperature my heart rate started like just off the wall <laughs> and about that time my dog that was laying with me started growling like angry like something is wrong and at that point I like got up and ran downstairs I'm not going to go into too much detail but um it was chaos it was Chaos. When I tell you, I ran into my parents' bedroom. I was like, y'all, I've got to get up. Something's wrong. And for the next four hours, me and my parents were in a spiritual battle for my life. For my life. And let me tell y'all something. Jesus was in that battle for my life. And he was right there with me through it all. There was not one second that he forsake me even though he had no reason, no reason to do what he did. Because I had denied him so many times, and I had gotten to a point where if you had asked me if I thought he was real, I probably would have said no. And he did not have to fight for me. But he fought for my life that night. Fought. <laughs> and the end... Yeah. And the end of the story... After hours of your parents battling with you, prayer, let me time out. Parents, you have authority in your home. Grandparents, you still have authority to pray over your kids and fight with your kids. I'm so proud of their parents that they joined in this battle together and prayed and prayed and prayed and battled. When, when the details of this story are chaos they're intense <laughs> yeah but intense. the end of the story about four hours in you felt that break i did and I you did. went from lost and what's the word you use redeemed it feels redeemed, redeemed. and so what's going to happen is today is at 10:45. actually we're going to baptize carly and i'm excited about this because the story of the 10 lepers happened at one hope because someone who had found herself completely stuck in sin that she one of the things you didn't say was in that moment of chaos she ran ran down to her parents room and did, you, you said i need you to pray i need to read scripture she had a rooting there if even though she wasn't sure if god was real in this moment <laughs> when you needed something jesus have pity on me i need you yep. and that's what they began to do and her story is today she worships 
she was avoiding ministry here at this church. <laughs> she was avoiding me probably, you know. <laughs> but God has redeemed her story and she has a future in Jesus. And I'm so proud of you, but I'm so amazed that God is not a God of stories in the Bible, that God is a God of today in Carly's life. And so thank you for sharing with us and just celebrate with her. I love you. I believe there's power in Carly sharing her story. It does something for her. There's a wholeness that comes. But then I think we get to hear it and we get to be reminded if you are stuck, you don't have to stay stuck. That we turn to Jesus and say, have pity on me, Jesus, and a healing can come. And so I don't know what your stuckness is, but I just believe we can find ourselves there and your pride may be pushing back and you need to push through the pride. You need to say to Jesus, you are the answer. You run down to your parents' room and goes, I need Jesus. If that is the answer to this and I need to live in obedience, I need to surrender everything and then go, God, it's all about you. I've given myself to you. And so we're gonna worship today at the end. And if you feel stuck, in anything. You don't let your pride stop you. You need to move and say, Jesus, I need you to get me unstuck. I don't have leprosy, but I am a leper in my own way. And so, Jesus, we acknowledge you today. You are worthy of our life. You're worthy of us surrendering to you. And God, there are so many people, whether in this room or online, that need to come and say, Jesus, my story is messed up and I need you and I'll obey you for everything. And so God, will your Holy Spirit be powerful and you do the work that re transforms and restores and redeems. As we worship you, God, will you speak to your people today and may we respond in humility because you are the only answer. And it's your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.